Glad you guys are here this morning. Um, my name is Robbie. If you're new, joining us the first time this morning, um, I'm one of the pastors here, uh, and we're just so happy to have you with us. Hey, I wanted to give you a heads up, too, that in the next uh, number of weeks, it'll be four weeks, you're going to hear from Dan and a couple of other people. I'll still be here working, but my goal is to plan out our entire year. Um, and for some of you, you're like, well, isn't that just one series? Um, Maybe, I don't know, but um, I'm just going to do some study time, um, and we'll work in the office, but won't, you'll see me on Sunday mornings, but I won't be preaching, so um, looking forward to that, and maybe some of you will invite your friends now, but um, I would love for you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be in verses 1 through 8 this morning, um, and today we're going to be wrapping up a series that we've entitled Unworldly for the World. And as you're getting to Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 8 this morning, let me quickly remind you where we've been in this series. We've been talking about the reality of Jesus' teaching that is happening in the Sermon on the Mount, which actually happens from Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7. And we've been talking about, we started this series by talking about what it looks like to be salt and light. And then we move to Jesus' six antithetical statements that start like this. He said, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And some people read that and they say that Jesus is changing the law. That Jesus has said, you have heard that it was said in the law and now I say to you. But really what is happening is Jesus is saying, the teachers of your day are, are skewing God's law. They are saying this. But I say to you, this is actually what God meant when he said, love your enemies. Or when he said, do not lust. When he said, do not get divorced. This is what I say to you. And so Jesus is clearing up what are common misconceptions of his day. And then today, he's going to take us to the very end of this series where we're going to get a call from Jesus to live the kingdom life without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy. And for those of us who are followers of Christ, what Jesus is doing in this series and otherwise is he is constantly calling us to a more meaningful, more God-honoring life. And, and he's not calling us to this more meaningful, more God-honoring, more righteous life. For those of you maybe that don't follow Christ, he's not calling us to that in order to put parameters or to push on us or to make our life miserable. He's calling us to that because inside of that life, he knows that in a deeper life, there's more joy. He knows that when we are more righteous, we're more free because that's the way he's created us and called us to be. And he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, that we should be more righteous than that of the Pharisees. And again, it's not because Jesus wants us to live this miserable life, but he's saying the Pharisees, these people that have said to you, this is how you live the law, these people are only living righteously in an outward manner. Okay, their righteousness is not coming from their heart. Their righteousness is not, is not coming from a place where they want to honor God and God alone. And Jesus is saying to us through this whole series, I want your hearts. And if you're just joining us, you may need to catch up by listening to some of the other messages, but you could also just read Matthew chapter 5 to get caught up with us. But it's key for us again to remember that Jesus, through this message, is not saying to any of us that your salvation comes when you do this list or of do's and this list of don'ts. He's not saying that your salvation comes by your works. Jesus would tell us that salvation is through faith alone in him alone, 
But he is also saying to his followers, when you are a follower of mine, then by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you and I are going to live a changed life. We're going to be different. We're going to live radical lives for the glory and honor of God and him alone, and it is going to affect the world around us. And so in this series of messages, Jesus has been doing this. He's been contrasting what it looks like to be one of his disciples with what the Pharisees say life looks like. Jesus has been been continually contrasting his proper understanding of the law of God with the understanding or misinterpretation of the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus teaches us what the law intends, and so he addresses for us more than just the letter of the law. Jesus goes straight at the hearts. And maybe you remember this, but in this series, we've talked about anger, we've talked about adulterous thoughts, we've talked about insincere talk, which is lying, we've talked about retaliation, we talked last week about loving our enemies. And I'm not sure about you in this last seven weeks, but over and over and over again, I continually find myself having my heart exposed. And it's been exposed really to one constant reality. What is that reality? The reality that I'm a sinner and the reality that I cannot meet the righteous standards that Christ is calling me to. But every single week as we study the Word, I am reminded of how good this realization is for me. You might think, well, that's insane. Why would you want to call yourself a sinner? Because as I study this, God in His grace makes me realize that over and over and over again, all that, what I need is the power of the gospel. How? How do these statements do this for me? Because these statements by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, they continually push me back to the very beginning of what Jesus said in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 verse 3 where he said this. It'll be on the screen. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Who are those people? Well, those are spiritually bankrupt people. Those are people that are spiritually beggarly. They just know they don't have what they need then when they realize they, are not, they have nothing to commend themselves to God. Blessed are those people because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And every time that I realize that I can't do what Jesus is calling me to, every time that I realize that I am spiritually bankrupt, what happens is I find myself exactly where I need to be in my relationship with the Lord. Right at the foot of the cross, asking Jesus to be enough for me. And this is good. This is really good. But another thing that happens too, as we study God's word and we let it expose our hearts, is then, and maybe you guys have started experiencing some of this as, as you've been studying these passages with me, as we let the word define our hearts is that we begin to practice the righteousness that Jesus is calling us to. The presence of Christ surpassing righteousness affects our hearts and we begin to find things like anger and lust and lying and revenge progressively vanishing in our lives. And that's amazing. It's a testimony to the grace of God which will change our world. It is how we become unworldly for the world. God moves in our lives and we change. But I want to move today to something that I think could be a danger as we begin to change, as God changes our lives. When we start to become more and more righteous by the power of God, that's a good thing. 
But sometimes there's a danger in that, and that is this. Once we begin to live out our righteousness that Jesus calls us to, once we begin to reflect the righteousness of God, and once we are living a life filled with good deeds, there's this danger that we have to be aware of, and that is that it is very easy for us to forget that we are poor in spirit and in need of Jesus, and what we do is we will begin to practice our good deeds the way the Pharisees did it. So there's this constant thing we have to be aware of. I am poor in spirit, and this righteousness is a gift that God is giving me. We can get into this habit of being Christians so that we will be praised by other people. That's what the Pharisees were doing. We can begin to want to be noticed for how much we give to charity or how, how much we make good moral decisions. And it becomes very easy to believe that we are more than just poor in spirit. It's easy for us to become self-righteous, and Jesus is going to say today, it's easy for us to begin practicing our righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And something that I've been thinking quite a bit about this week is this question that I'm sure many of you have asked yourself before, and here's the question. Why do people in our world not want to be a part of Christ's body, the church? Why do people in our world frequently feel like they need to be in opposition to the church? or that the church is in opposition to them? And there are a number of answers, I'm sure, and one of those answers is sometimes people just hate us because the world didn't even like Jesus. Sometimes that is the answer. Jesus' own words in John chapter 15, verse 18 say this, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Sometimes that is the answer. Sometimes we will just be despised because of the reality that Satan is opposed to us, and so the world is too. But often, the world hates the church, not because of our commitment to Christ, but because of our commitment to other things that don't really seem to be like Jesus at all. Sometimes people struggle with the church because the church is often too political. Sometimes people struggle with the church because they say the church only wants their money. We should take an offering right now. No, I'm just kidding. Sometimes people don't want to be a part of the church because the church has hurt them, and that's real. Sometimes people quit going to church because they say their needs are not being met. But for me, in my lifetime, as I've been around the church, the biggest thing that comes up when I ask people why they struggle with Christians or why they struggle with Christ's body, the church, is this. People say the church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites. Have you guys ever heard that? Which is true, because we were all sinners, right? So it is full of a bunch of hypocrites. But that tends to be what people that struggle with the church say most often. And today what Jesus is going to do in this passage is he's going to share with his followers how we can steer clear of hypocrisy. Jesus recognized the scribes and the Pharisees that they were self-righteous people and they were hypocrites. But he also recognizes this, that we all have a susceptibility to hypocrisy. And he knows that hypocrisy is detrimental to the spread of the gospel. It's a big deal. Being unworldly for our world requires that we shed hypocrisy. And so today, as we end this series, Jesus is calling his disciples to be righteous for the glory of God. Not for the glory of anyone else. And he starts in verse 1 with a warning to the righteous. Verse 1 says this of Matthew chapter 6. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. 
For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Okay, so the general principle here is this. Jesus is putting this forward. He's basically saying, guys, I've spent the last six sections telling you how to be radically righteous. Now hear this. My followers do not do their acts of righteousness for a human audience. That's the main principle. We do not... We are not righteous for a human audience. Why? Jesus would say, because my disciples are not to be motivated by human praise. Maybe a good way for us to understand this is we can look back at Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, when Jesus said this, because you could be confused, Matthew 5, verse 16 says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others. That sounds different, doesn't it? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. But then today in Matthew chapter 6 verse 1, just a few verses later, Jesus says, don't practice your righteousness before other people. So Jesus says, let your light shine before others in Matthew chapter 5 verse 16. And today he says, do not practice your righteousness before other people. Which one is it? It's Jesus contradicting himself. Am I supposed to be a light or not? Jesus is not contradicting himself. What he is saying is, it is all a matter of the purpose for the works being seen in the first place. What Jesus is doing here is he is talking about our motive. When you let your light shine so that God may be glorified, then you are motivated by God's glory in your righteous deeds. The motives of your heart are right. What he's saying today is if you let your acts of righteousness be seen before men and specifically to receive their approval and their applause and to make them think of how spiritual and how self-sacrificial you are, then what you are doing is you are letting your light shine so that you may be glorified. When you and I do that, then we are robbing God of his glory and we are taking it for ourselves. This is what Jesus is saying. This is the general principle that Jesus is setting forward for us today. He's calling into question our motives. And today, Jesus is beginning by teaching us an important question that we need to ask as we serve him. And here's the question. Why am I doing good works? Is my motivation for doing good works to honor and glorify God, or is it for the applause of people who may see it? If it's for the applause of humanity, then I can be certain of one thing. I will receive a reward, but it will be fleeting. Humanity may praise me, but my heavenly Father will not. Jesus continues to help us understand by illustrating his point with two areas of Christian discipline. He's going to talk about our giving and then also our prayer life. I wanted to mention to you guys today that we're actually going to start a series in September on the Lord's Prayer, so we're not going to talk a ton about prayer today, but Jesus is using these two things as an illustration, our giving and our prayer life. Look first with me at giving in verse 2. It says this, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in other streets, or in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Notice this, Jesus starts by saying, when you give to the needy. I want us all to be very aware of this, that Jesus does not say, if you give to the needy. Jesus' statement is not a question here of whether his disciples are to give or not. 
That's not an option that Jesus is leaving. Jesus just assumes in his words that his disciples are going to be givers. So don't misunderstand what he is saying here. He's not saying just give when the Spirit moves or don't give at all. He doesn't even say don't do your acts of righteousness when other people can see them. What he's saying is don't do your acts of righteousness for the purpose of getting others to praise you. Why does he say this? What's the context here? Well, in Jesus' day, the religious leaders had this habit In his time, the temple trumpets would sound in order to call the citizens to come and give. There was a daily call for this, just like there was a daily call for prayer. So the temple would sound a trumpet. Can you guys imagine? And then you all just scurry to the church and give the money. Um, This is what was happening, though. Giving was a built-in part of their culture. It was who they were. And so this was a great opportunity to show off, right? The trumpets would sound and the people would come scurrying in the streets towards the temple to show that they were giving. And I imagine that the religious leaders put on their shiny like Louis Vuitton bags full of money just to show people how awesome they were. And their coins were shiny and they threw it as loud as they could into the offering plate. And the scribes and the Pharisees clearly thought that they were something and everyone should know it. But Jesus calls them hypocrites. He says, don't be like them because they're like the hypocrites. Why does he say that? What does Jesus mean when he uses the word hypocrite? Were they not actually giving their money? No, they were giving their money, but what he means is they're actors. In in ancient Rome, during Jesus' day, the word hypocrite would have been used, best described to use the act of pretending. And many ancient play actors would have been called hypocrites, and they lived for the thrill of standing ovations and the prizes and awards that came with good dramatic performances. And so what Jesus is doing here is he is giving his listeners this vivid picture when he says, this is how the hypocrites do it. They do it for applause, they do it for a standing ovation, it is fake, it is not with the intention of honoring God. They are not giving to honor God. They are giving to receive praise from people. And Jesus is saying these people are giving with the goal of human admiration. Jesus says when you give this way, you're not giving actually. You're buying. It's not a gift. You are buying something. And these hypocrites are buying praise and applause and awards. And if you give this way, you will receive what you pay for you're going to miss the reward of the Father. Jesus goes on then to tell his disciples the right way to give when he says in verses 3 and 4 this. He says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now I think it's important for us to know that Jesus' words here would have really shocked the people that he was speaking to. Because first century Hebrews celebrated their public and visible displays of religion. It was so common to to them to make a spectacle of their religious displays. And Jesus says to them, not only are you not to give in order to receive applause from humans, but I want to take it one more step, which which is what Jesus always does. He says, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Meaning this, don't even make a big deal of it to yourself. 
And that might sound a little bit over the top, but Jesus knows us so well because here's the thing. Jesus knows that we are so subtly sinful that what we will do is we will refrain from an outward show of giving, but we will still pat ourselves on the back for how profound our humility is when we don't make a show. We'll say things like this, good job, Robbie. You didn't, you didn't show people how awesome you are. You made sure that God got the glory. You're glorifying yourself, Jesus is saying. Jesus says, even that isn't any good. Not only am I telling you not to shout about how awesome you are to other people, I am also telling you not to announce your righteousness on social media. Not only am I telling you not to call a press conference to share your ability to care for the needy, I am also saying don't even congratulate yourself on your giving. Don't keep track of your charity. Give because it is God's and he called you to give and then forget about it. Follow God. Give God the glory. The guiding principle is this. A true follower of God gives and serves to please God alone. We do not give for the fleeting approval of man. We don't even give for our own approval. We don't give to God with strings because we want to have control. We give for God's glory. Again, when we do good deeds so that we can be seen by people, we do receive rewards. Generally, generally we receive the applause of people. And that does feel good, don't get me wrong. But when we do works for God's glory, we receive God's rewards. Eternal rewards. Lasting glory. The reward from God is overwhelming. The reward from God does not perish. The reward from God frees us from our pride. That's a reward. The reward from God is real joy, and it always will be that way. Jesus moves on then to the second illustration of how to avoid hypocrisy in the area of our prayer lives. And he says this in verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. I think we need to notice something again. Jesus expects prayer to be a regular habit for the life of his disciples. Again, he does not say, and when you pray, or he does not say, and if you pray. He says, and when you pray. The idea is that you and I will pray to God. But the scribes and the Pharisees, the hypocrites, they love to pray for show. In Jesus' time, what they did is they would love to pray publicly in two different places. They would pray at the street corners and in the synagogue. So in the afternoon, again, the temple would blow the trumpets as a sign that it was time to pray. And whenever a devout man was in the street, he would stop, he would face the temple, and he would pray to God. And for the hypocrites, this was the perfect opportunity to let everyone see how awesome you are. The scribes and the Pharisees then, they would stroll around, they would stroll around in these prominent places, Knowing when the trumpet's going to blow, they would make sure there were lots of people around. And when the trumpet blew, they were then able to lift up their hands and pray for everyone to see how righteous they were. This is exactly what the Pharisee did actually in the temple in Luke 18, 11 through 12. He said this, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like tax collectors. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. This is like a mini-sermon. That's not a prayer to God. 
This is a spectacle to call attention to himself. And this is what the Pharisees were doing. This is not prayer to the Father. This was a prayer for people to see how awesome he was. The hypocrites love to flaunt their false spirituality. They love to pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that people could see them. And they longed for the people to praise them. This was the reward that they sought. It felt good to be respected and seen. And Jesus says this, this is not who my disciples are. So what does Jesus say to do? Well, verse 6 answers that. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. I think we need to be careful here. So let me first say this. Jesus is not condemning public prayer with this statement. What Jesus is doing in this context is he is calling out the desire to be seen praying publicly. We know from Scripture that public prayer is practiced and even commanded as a vital component of corporate worship. In fact, read the book of Acts. But what Jesus is condemning here is the act of praying as a mere formality or a ritual in order to get other people to see and think that we are extra spiritual. Again, what Jesus is concerned with here is our motive. Jesus is emphasizing here that prayer is a conversation between the believer and God, not the believer and the other people watching. That's convicting to me, and this isn't in my notes, but do you ever pray in a room? I, you don't have to raise your hand. I do this. Mostly to the people that are listening. Oh, they need to know how spiritual I am. And Jesus is emphasizing here that prayer is a conversation between the believer and God. And because of that, it is fundamentally private, not an exhibitionist thing or for show. That's actually why I love it when my kids pray. They don't care what I think. And it's, it's a fun, they're funny prayers. But that's why God says, be like a child. Just, you're talking to me. Jesus goes on to help us understand more in verse 7 where he says this, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Well, what was happening there is the Gentiles, they would babble and speak nonsense over and over and over again to their pagan gods. And he's saying, don't be like them because they pray to their pagan gods and their idols in an effort to manipulate them into doing something. And Jesus says, my disciples know that God can't be manipulated by silly and empty repetitions. My disciples know that God is living and active and omnipresent and omnipotent and omniscient. And so he goes on to say in verse 8, do not be like them and babble because your father knows what you need before you even ask him. You don't need to babble and manipulate God. You know everything. He knows everything. And he knows the things that you need before you even ask him. He's aware of your needs. He's attentive to them. And he actually has a better plan for you than you even have for yourself. What Jesus is doing here is he is reminding his disciples, he's reminding you and me that even in our public worship, we have to avoid everything that makes our personal devotion remarkable to somebody else. Jesus is saying, don't try to be seen. Don't babble on and on. Why? He's saying, because our purpose in prayer is not to cause people to say something like this. Oh, that was an awe-inspiring prayer that person prayed. Our purpose in prayer is to commune with the living God who already knows all that we need. 
The Christian aim in prayer is to fellowship with the Heavenly Father. It's to receive His approval. It's to receive His answer. And we are not in this to get the approval and the acceptance of other people. That is fleeting. And so the disciple approaches God in prayer, not in pride, but in humility, because we are aware that we go before the Father of heaven and earth that knows what we need before we even ask. God the Father is the one who approves and rewards. God's gospel goodness is our motivation. God's reward of joy and peace and eternity and himself is what motivates us. And Jesus reminds us this morning that God will be better to you than you could ever conceive of being towards yourself. God always cares more about you and more about his children and more about our needs than our own hearts and eyes can perceive. What Jesus is doing this morning, I believe, is he knows that there are many types of hypocrisies amongst religious people. Jesus knows that even his disciples, and even you and me, are going to struggle with this desire to be seen and rewarded by people. And so today, as we finish out this series, what Jesus is doing is he is cautioning us. He says, you need to be careful as you practice being radically righteous. I want you to be radically righteous, but as you practice being radically righteous, you need to be careful because there is this strong desire inside of all of us to be praised by other people. And when we live radically righteous lives in an effort to gain human praise, in an effort to please people, we will present roadblocks to the gospel with our own hypocrisy. Jesus says to us today, he's asking this question, what is your motive in your worship of me? It should be glorifying God and seeking his favor, seek the reward of God, seek the pleasure of God. And as we close out this message this morning in this series, I really want to leave us all with just one statement that I've said to you before, and I'm almost certain after saying it again this week that I'll probably say it another hundred thousand million times until the Lord takes me home. So maybe you already have heard it. (laughs) But we're a forgetful people. We are. I think the key to us living radically righteous lives that glorify God and that are not for human praise depends on one thing. This is key. This depends on one thing. We have to remember the gospel. We have to remember the gospel. This, is gonna rem- this will make you and I remarkably unworldly for our world when we remember God's grace in the gospel. I wonder today how many of us find ourselves in the bondage of religious hypocrisy this morning. Maybe you wouldn't say it out loud, but... I wonder how many of us feel like we need to prove ourselves to people. We need to fake it with our spiritual acts. Our giving needs to be loud because people are watching. Or our prayers need to be seen because we have to prove how spiritual we are. Or we need to tell people how many times we have read through the Bible in a year. I'm I'm on a one-year reading program that's taken me three years, just so you know. Um, Pastors aren't supposed to say that, but. 
I wonder how many of us have found that our identity is completely wrapped in what people think of us. And it causes us to be hypocritical. It causes us to be one thing at church and then another thing in our communities. And if you want to be unworldly for the world, that's not going to work. And I'll be honest with you, I know that in my position that I'm in as a pastor, this is a terrifying reality for me. I find myself consistently wondering, what does this person or that person think of me? I find myself wanting to impress people with my theological skills. Some of you are like, you don't have any, dummy. But (laughs) I just find myself there. And one of the hard things about being a pastor, and please, I'm not asking for you to feel bad for me, but there's a lot of you and a lot of opinions. And I constantly find myself battling, what will these people think? And often... This is a confession. My worship isn't for God. It's for the people to notice. I find myself looking for the praise of humanity because that feels good. It does. And that can be the biggest stench to the rest of our world. An approval needy Christian is yucky. And maybe you can relate, maybe you can't, but for me, the question is this. How do I change this behavior? I don't want to be a sociopath that doesn't care what people think at all. But I know that my acts of worship should be for God and God alone. I know that my freedom is there. I know that my joy is there. I know that that's what he created me for. And I know that truth. So the question this morning for me is this, and I think for all of us, is how do I honor God by serving Him and Him alone? Because that is going to be an effective gospel presentation to our community. I remember the gospel constantly. It is constantly on my mind. I remember the good news that Jesus died for my sins on the cross. And if you feel like that's too simple, well, that is the reality of our faith. Jesus took our sins and died on the cross, and we can be right with God when we are in relationship with him. This reality will radically change all of us if we keep this at the forefront. It seems so simple, but if we could get this profound reality, it would change everything. And this week as I studied this passage, I was drawn again into Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, which simply says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The worship team can come on up. Let me read this again for you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, not a result of your giving, not a result of your praying, not a result of your worship, not a result of your religiosity, not a result of your works. And that is a gift of God so that no one may boast in themselves. Praise God. What happens when this verse is true in my life? What happens when the gospel is true in my life? God's grace frees all of his children from the bondage of hypocrisy. You don't have to fake anymore. Why is this true? Because God offers me a reward that I did not earn and forgives me of the wrongs that I actually did. What grace does is it radically alters my identity and my hope. 
My identity is not in what I have achieved or in what people around me think of what I have achieved. As a result of grace, my identity is firmly rooted in the achievements of another person. My identity is firmly rooted in the achievements of Jesus Christ. My hope then is never based on how well I'm doing, but on what Jesus has done for me. And what grace does is it invites me to be real and honest. Grace allows me to live free of false hope. Grace allows me not to be an actor or a hypocrite. Grace allows me to rest in the honest and stable identity that I have found in Jesus and his eternal work on my behalf. And this is a reward worth so much more than anything else. And this is what Jesus is talking about when he says your father will reward you. He's going to reward you with freedom from yourself. God's grace is going to allow me to give and pray and serve and worship and live for God and God alone. That's so good. The key to us honoring God is remembering the gospel. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you again for your word. God, thank you for the high calling to live radically righteous lives for the world around us and for your glory. And Lord, this morning I pray that we will again have been just prompted to hear from you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will prompt each of us the way we need as we think about, am I doing what I'm doing for man's glory or am I doing it for God's glory? God, I pray that all of us would find ourselves living radically righteous lives for your glory because our identity is found in the reality of your grace. Lord, today, I do, I do. I pray that we would leave this place to change people for your glory, and I pray that our world would notice and that they would be drawn to you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.